that people who make these kind of claims deliberately ignore abundant evidence that's out there that demonstrate the reality of God's creation. And not only creation, but also God's judgment that he poured out upon this earth in the universal flood that took place in the day of Noah. In 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, Peter addresses this question of, of, of scoffing. Where is his coming? Where's the promise of his coming? He promised to come. Where is it? He hasn't come back. And in, in the day that Peter wrote, it was about 30 years after the Lord had ascended to glory. Now, we're, we're moving in pretty close to 2,000 years since Jesus ascended to glory and with the promise to come back again. Where is he? Where's the promise of his coming? Uh, it's been 2,000 years. He hasn't come back. Surely you, you still don't think that he is going to come back. He's not coming back. In response to such scoffing, we find that there are a couple of things you and I need to remember. Number one, God is eternal in his perspective. And secondly, God is patient in his mercy. Peter refers to those here. He says in verse 8, But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent. Two things you need to know about God. Don't forget about God. He is, he is eternal, and He is patient. And we find that the, the, the matter of his, his eternality is, is something that's pointed out here as being a priority. He says, don't forget this one thing. Sometimes in a message you'll say, okay, if you're going to doze off, before you doze off, get this one thing. Peter said, get this one thing. God is eternal. Uh, God and believers differ in respect to time. We have multiple places in Scripture we could go and, and look at this fact that God's eternal. And just directed to the 90th Psalm, it says in, in verse 1, Lord, you have been our, our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. When did God get his start? He didn't. He's everlasting. When's he going to come to an end? He's not. He's everlasting. Everlasting past, everlasting future, and alive now. Our God is eternal. Uh, man is finite and limited by time, but God is eternal, and he is above time. When, when Moses is being commissioned by God there in Exodus chapter 3, uh, Moses said, well, well, who shall I... I say is sending me, and God, what, what's your name? And God says, I am that I am. And the thing he's emphasizing is his, his once again, his, his existence, his life, his eternality. He is the eternally existing God. He is without beginning. He is without end. You and I all have a beginning. Uh, we, we have an eternal soul that hasn't always existed. It had a beginning but it will continue to exist. And the only question is, where is our eternal soul going to exist? Is it going to be with the Lord in glory? Or is it going to be separated from God in a place called the lake of fire? But, but we're different from God. We're, we're limited. We're finite. Thank God we can have the gift of eternal life when we come to know Christ as Savior. But 
We're different from God. God's eternal. God's not limited by time. We are limited. We are finite people. God is above time. In fact, that's what makes predictive prophecy possible. How could God tell us that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem? How could God tell us 700 years ahead of time that put that great passage in Isaiah 53 that, that talks to us about the suffering of Christ, being bruised for our iniquities, and, and all that he went through there, being buried in a rich man's tomb. How could he do all that? Well, God's above time. We can't know the future except what we get from prophecy and Scripture, but God can. God is eternal, completely eternal. And because of that, man and God have different perspectives on time. Here are the statements made. Well, with God, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Uh, that's the things being emphasized. And we, we find that with man, uh, our, our life down here is very, is very brief compared to, e- to eternity. But with God, one day is like a thousand years. Now, that's not a, an, an exact formula. In fact, you, we've had people in the past that have wanted to try to apply this verse to the six days of creation and say, actually, the, the creation didn't take, six in, take place in six days. They said a day's like a thousand years. So there's 6,000 years is what it took for creation. And then they keep stretching. That's not what it's talking about here. You know what it's saying here? It's saying very simply that what seems to be a long time to man is, is very short in the eyes of an eternal God. You could just, Peter could just have easily said here, one day with the Lord's like 10,000 years with you and me. Uh, God's got a different perspective on time than what we have as people. In fact, uh, we find that, that even in our own lives, we, we have different points in life. We have different perspective on time. One year to a five-year-old is different than one year to a 60-year-old, Right? Uh, to a five-year-old, one year seems like a long, long period of time. To get from one Christmas to the next is just almost like eternity. But but for a, a parent or a 60-year-old, what's one year like? And it, it it flies by, doesn't it? And for a, a five-year-old to think about his grandpa being 60 years old, well, he wants to know, you know, why he didn't drown if he wasn't on the ark with Noah. You know, he almost seems that, you know, that that's that's ancient history. Yeah, that's forever and ever, basically. You know, when you when you're a newlywed and you you think about somebody celebrating a fiftieth wedding anniversary, forty or fiftieth wedding anniversary. Man, that seems so far. But when you're married for 50 years, in fact, we got some folks here married over 60 years. Who here has been married more than 60 years? And how long does it, how long does it seem? How long does that 60 years seem? Doesn't seem that long, does it? It, it? it just seems to fly by. You know that, that's the way things are. We have a different perspective on on time than than what God. Does. What seems to be a long time to us is no time to God. In fact, when we think about the Lord's coming, we find that there were prophecies given really for thousands of years before the Lord's first coming. In fact, 
as soon as Adam and Eve fell, the promise was given in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman was going to come and he was going to crush the head of Satan and eliminate him. And then for thousands of years, there were prophecies given about a coming Messiah. And finally, we read in Galatians 4 that, that it says, In the fullness of time, the Lord came. In the fullness of time, he was born of a virgin. In fact, you could even translate that term in the fullness of time at just the right time. At exactly the right time, Jesus came into the world the first time. And the same thing's true of his return. We said, man, it's been almost 2,000 years. That's a long, long time. Well, with God, no, it's not. It's not. God is never in a hurry, but he's never late. I got good news for you this morning. God's timetable is perfect. Have you ever messed things up in your timing? You do something too soon or or you wait too long? God's timetable is perfect. And he's working his timetable according to a, a wonderful plan that he has in order. And we need to keep that in mind. His timing's perfect when it comes to the second coming. And also concerning the affairs of our life. You know, we need to take a lesson here, not just about the second coming, but about our lives. Sometimes we get impatient with God. We think, God, you know, surely you're messing up. Remember Lazarus? The Lord gets word, your friend Lazarus is sick, really sick. You need to come right away and and do something. And you know what the Lord does? He takes a sweet old time about heading back to Bethany. And about four days. And he he shows up and Lazarus' sisters meet him and say, Lord, you're too late. You're too late. If if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died, but, but he did die. You're too late. But what was what was the Lord thinking all along? Lord's thinking he was going back and, and Lazarus died for the glory of God because what Jesus do? Raised him from the dead. And people didn't dispute whether Lazarus was really passed out or dead, you know, or in a coma or dead. They knew he was dead. And he'd been buried for four days. And Jesus raises him from the dead. Same thing's true with you and me. Sometimes we pray. And God doesn't answer our prayer, doesn't answer maybe the way we want him to, but, but doesn't even seem to be answering it. In fact, sometimes the answer is wait. I'll keep praying and keep trusting and just wait on me. But, but he'll answer at, at just the right time. We find that uh, when we're, we're dealing with suffering, well, we don't like to suffer, do we? God, would you please deliver me from this? Would you lift this off of my shoulders? Now, would you just take this out of my life and, and, and do it now. Even when it comes to having patience, sometimes we'll say, God, please give me patience and give it to me right now. But be careful when you pray for patience. You know what it says in James, don't you? Tribulation worketh patience. Be careful what you do. God's timetable is different than ours, and God is perfect, and God is all-knowing, and God is sovereign and you're not, and neither am I. So when it comes down to it, whose timing is right? 
God's is. God's timing is right. God's timing is absolutely perfect, and ours isn't. So number one, where's the promise of his coming? 2,000 years he hasn't come back. Hey, with God, that's nothing. He prophesied the first coming for thousands of years, and then we, we marvel at the way that those prophecies were fulfilled from the Old Testament when Jesus came the first time. And 2,000 years in the eyes of an eternal God is no time at all. See, like a long time to us, but to God, he's above it. It's like no time at all. And he also has a plan that he's working. You know, well, God, God could do something just like that. He, in fact, he could have created everything in six seconds. He didn't need six days. You know why he took six days? He gives us a pattern. Work six days, rest the seventh. He gives us a picture of order that, 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 in which he carried out the creation. And he, he could have worked things out so that Jesus went to heaven, ascended to glory, and came right back again. But that's not his plan. He's got something else involved, something else that, that he is concerned about, something else that's part of his character, and that's the fact that God is patient in his mercy. In, in that ninth verse, it tells us, first of all, why the Lord hasn't, for, uh, the, the one reason that we don't go to for why the Lord hasn't come back yet. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. That means he's not slow lazy, procrastinating, neglectful. God's not just putting it off. We do those things, don't we? Now, sometimes we, we find it easy to put things off. My, my wife wanted me to make her a, a suet feeder for, for birds, not for me, but for, for the birds. And it, it's one where you, you, it's like a little house and the, the thing with the, the basket with the suet in drops in, and and the birds can't get around the outside, so the big birds can't get to it. I don't know why this is important to her, but it is. anyway. She doesn't want the big birds to get to the suet. Big birds need to eat too, really. She wants the, the little birds that, that feed upside down to be able to come in and hang underneath this thing and eat the suet. Well, she's been talking to me about this for a couple of years. <laughs> And I thought about it, you know, and I said, well, give me a picture. Show me. Well, she did. And then my next thought was, well, give me some dimensions. This picture doesn't have any dimension. But bottom line was I just put it off. You really don't need dimensions because you look at the basket. You just make Yesterday I finally got started on it. But it took me. And I got to confess, I'm slow lazy, neglectful, procrastinating, our God is not. That's not why Christ hasn't come back. It's not because he's forgotten about us. It's not because he's forgotten about his program or forgot about his church. It's not that God's off doing something else on Jupiter or Pluto or, or someplace else in this massive universe, which he is doing things. He's holding it all together. But he hasn't forgotten about us, and he's not neglectful. He's got a, a purpose. He's purposefully waiting. And in our lives, sometimes, well, all the time, when God's not working, doesn't seem to be working, seems to be delaying, 
He's purposefully waiting. I'll give you a homework assignment. Go home and look up in the look up in a concordance and Bible dictionary, the or concordance in particular. How often we're told to wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. You know, when you when you're waiting, we're waiting upon Him, and we find some great promises when we wait on the Lord and just keep trusting Him. So He's not slack concerning His promise. He's not distracted, but He's long suffering. That's why He's waiting. He is patient. He's patient, and it says here He's patient. He's long suffering. Peter says toward us it has in the New King James. Some of the other Greek manuscripts, it has, has toward you. Uh, there, there's some copying differences there in the various Greek manuscripts. It's only one letter difference in the Greek text. And some translate it us, some you, but the bottom line is he's talking about believers, people that would come to know Christ as Savior. He's long-suffering toward us. Now, when we talk about long-suffering, that's a compound word. It has to do with with, with large and, and, and anger. And basically what's a picture of is God has a tremendous capacity to put up with us or take things from us before he pours forth his wrath upon us or upon anybody. God's got a tremendous capacity, and it's a good thing he does. You know, sometimes people say, well, this person or that person, they got a short temper. Aren't you glad God didn't have a short temper? Aren't you glad God doesn't just go off like that? In fact, he always works purposefully, and he always works patiently, and he's long-suffering toward us. And here it's talking about believers, the elect. In fact, of the matter, in his waiting, God gives opportunity to, to all to come to know Christ as Savior. In fact, if you look right here, it says he's, he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Why is he waiting? Because he doesn't want people to spend eternity in hell. That's why he's waiting. And we find that that's his motivation. We're told in Scripture that he doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather he would have the wicked turn. We're told in 1 Timothy 2, this is the same basic thing, that God desires that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God has this desire. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But we find that we have a response that we are responsible for. And that's the fact that we need to come to repentance. God doesn't want us to perish, but we need to come to repentance. God wants us to be saved. We need to respond to the truth. We need to come to a knowledge of the truth and respond to the truth. We find this is not teaching universalism, by the way. Not everyone is going to be saved. The Bible is very clear about that. We're told in Scripture that we need to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And there's going to be some, if they don't put their faith in Christ, it says they're condemned already. You go back and read John 3.16. Keep reading, going on to verse 18. We find that, that God's patience. He's waited these 2,000 years. And during these almost 2,000 years that he's waited for the return of Jesus Christ, literally billions of people have been saved. And I'm one of them. 
I don't know about you, but I am so glad that Christ didn't come back before I got saved. I'm glad he was patient with me and he waited until I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian here this morning, hopefully you can say the same thing. You know, I'm thankful Jesus waited for me. Glad I didn't miss the bus. How about you? Glad he waited. What a blessing there is. But So we find some things here about, about his desired will. Some people might ask, well, if, if he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, then, and, every, and you're telling me everybody's not going to be saved, and we're told elsewhere in Scripture that not everyone's going to be saved, then did God fail? Well, if, if God wills something, does it not come about? Well, we find that there, there's Scripture gives us pictures of what we might call God's desired will and God's determined will. God's desired will doesn't always come about in order to accomplish what is his determined will, which is higher. We're kind of the same way. Uh, When we were raising our kids and now helping a little bit with our grandkids, I desired for my children and my grandchildren to obey. And I desired that I didn't have to discipline them. And I especially desire that I don't have to discipline my grandchildren. They're terrible. Grandparents got to be disciplinarians. You deserve. What happened? I'm one preacher that recognized my kids aren't perfect. They did not always obey. And because I determined that I needed to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, I taught them and I also disciplined them. And I was determined to discipline them whenever they did that, what was, which was wrong. Because it was a higher thing that we were, we were shooting for. And we see some other examples of, of Jesus. He desires all men to be saved. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray? That, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Do you, th- do you think we could, in, on the basis of what Jesus said there, Say, he desired not to go to the cross. I don't think he desired to go to the cross. In fact, we're told what? He despised the shame. He endured the cross, despising the shame. God desires that you and I never sin. How are we doing on that, folks? Is that desire of God being recognized and realized in your life? Not in mine. And, and God desired that Adam not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He instructed him. He said, don't eat that fruit from that tree. Eat from any other tree you want to. And God's so good in all that he does give us so we would be okay with him and, and, and right before him. But he does put some restrictions on. He says, don't eat from that one tree. And he warned him. He says, the day you eat of that fruit, what's going to happen? You'll die. And he started dying physically. Went on for another few hundred years. Where it accomplished all it was going to do in him. And he did die spiritually. In fact, Adam ends up hiding from God. Something happened to his, his relationship with God. 
So he, he desired Adam not to eat that forbidden fruit. He didn't say don't eat it because he really wanted, you know, Adam, I, I sure want you to eat that. No, he desired that he not eat it. Yet we find that, that God also has what we might call a determined will. When, when God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And, and God hasn't failed, even though not all men are saved. Jesus did go to the cross. You and I do sin. Adam did eat of the forbidden fruit. In, in Isaiah, uh, there's a great passage of Scripture there in chapter 46 and verse 9 where it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. So, not all men are saved. Jesus went to the cross. We do sin. Adam ate the forbidden fruit. But still, God never fails. In fact, we see God's predetermined will. God's sovereign will involved here as well. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Even though he didn't desire to go to the cross, I'm sure the Father didn't desire to see him suffering like that. What father wants to see his son suffer that way? Well, Jesus went to the cross because there was an eternal plan being worked out. In fact, before the foundation of the world, it was Christ was preordained to be the Lamb of God who would shed his blood on that cross for you and me. God knew before he ever created Adam and Eve that, that it was going to cost God the Son dying on the cross at Calvary and why he bothered with the human race, I'll never know, but he did. He created us. He wants us to fellowship with him. What about Adam and his sin? He didn't desire Adam to sin, but he allowed Adam to sin. Could God have stopped Adam from sinning? Could God have sent a lightning bolt and zapped Eve and zapped Adam before they ever ate of that forbidden fruit? Could God have done that? Sure he could have, but he didn't. Why? Well, for one thing, it shows that he really did create Adam with the ability to make choices and be able to choose to love God or choose to disobey God. And the other thing that comes out of all this is through the fall of man and redemption through Jesus Christ. We see something about God that we couldn't see any other way. We see God's grace and God's mercy. Just think about that. God acts towards you and me as sinners with his amazing grace, his mercy. He doesn't give us what we do deserve, but he gives us a salvation and a redemption that we don't deserve. What a great thing. We find that also none of the ones chosen before the foundation of the earth will perish, but we'll repent. We'll be saved. The Bible does talk about the elect. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 talk about those that were chosen before the foundation of the world to be the children of God, to belong to Him. And none of those whom God chooses are ever going to be ever going to be lost. God's determined will, He also allows you and me to play a part. One of these days, the last person that's going to be part of the church 
is, is going to pray. We're talking about the universal church now, church all, from all over the world, is going to pray to trust Christ as their Savior. I would love to be dealing with that guy or that gal at that moment. And they will pray to trust Christ as their Savior. And the church will be complete. And you know what's going to happen when that, when that occurs? Then Jesus will come back. He'll come back to the clouds, and he'll call the church to meet him in the air. And then he'll begin the judgments on this earth of the tribulation period for seven years that will will lead to his return at the end of that tribulation period, which will bring in the thousand-year kingdom, which will once again end with a, a horrible judgment that's going to purge the whole earth of all marks of sin. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Because that's described a little later on here in first in Second Peter three, he's going to come and carry all that out. What a great thing! That, and in God's determined will, He allows you and me to play a part. First of all, He doesn't just bang automatically saves us. Save us. He calls us to repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ. And nobody's going to heaven unless they recognize that they're a sinner in need of a Savior repent of their sin, and put their faith in Christ alone to save them. Nobody can say, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm elect. No, we go to heaven because we know Christ is our own personal Savior. That's how we get into heaven, through the, the righteousness of Christ that's applied to us. And, and we get to cooperate in God's great plan. He allows us the, the, the wonderful privilege of believing in Christ, trusting in Christ. He enables us to do that. He also gives us the great privilege to be able to share the gospel with other people. You know, God wants to use you and me. Once we've trusted Christ, why doesn't he just take us to heaven right then? Save him a lot of hassle with us, wouldn't it? But he allows us to stay in this world as a sinner saved by grace. So we can tell other sinners about the grace of God. And we can share that wonderful message with them and what a blessing it is to be able to be, to be involved in that and cooperating with God. Now, on the basis of what we've seen this morning, God's eternal. And, and what seems to be a long time to you and me is not a long time with God. And also, God is patient. And what's he waiting for? Well, he, he doesn't want us to perish, but rather wants us to come to repent. On the basis of that, don't worry that the second coming has been awaited now for 2,000 years. Somebody comes scoffing at you. Oh, you're one of those Christians that's looking for Jesus to come. He hadn't come in 2,000. You really think he's coming? Ha, ha, ha. Hey, don't, that let, don't let that get to you. What's that person showing? That person's just showing they don't have any concept of what God's really like as far as being eternal and above time. Know that God's perspective on time is different than ours. Know that God has a glorious purpose in his waiting and get on board with that purpose and work with God trust Christ share with others be grateful that God waited for you somebody said well I've got a sermon I've preached on when Jesus is going to come and and, and several points in there one is for, for some it's going to seem to be too soon they're just not ready for some it's, it's going to seem to be, be too late but he comes with just the right time. Timing is absolutely perfect. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, 
you better be thankful that he's still waiting on you. He's still waiting. And he's giving you a chance to repent and trust Christ. But don't think he's going to wait forever. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. Don't put God off. That's a dangerous thing to do. He's giving you a chance to repent and trust Christ. Like Nike says, just do it. Just do it. Recognize you're a sinner in need of a Savior. If you're a follower of Christ, work for him to keep others from perishing. Use his patience as an opportunity to serve and to share and to be used by the Lord in his great eternal plan. And wouldn't it be great if the Lord used you to reach other people with the gospel of Christ and you could share eternity and share heaven together. What a great thing that is. In the meantime, we can trust also in God's protection. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you waited, giving us that know Christ here this morning the opportunity to trust Christ as our Savior. Lord, thank you that it didn't come before we got saved. Father, is there anybody here that doesn't know Christ? I pray you would just speak to their heart right now and, and show them that they're on borrowed time. No guarantees, but what the rapture isn't going to take place this afternoon or tomorrow. They need to get right with God today. They need to take Christ as their Savior today. Lord, I pray that even in light of all this, you'd also help us to that know Christ as Savior, to make our lives count for eternity. Just to be used by you to reach into the lives of other people and impact them for Christ and for eternity. We pray in Take your hymnals. I'm going to change the last song here. Uh,